You are listening to Ayahuasca Talks on Radio Regent in lovely downtown Toronto, and I'm your host, Rebecca Hayden. Please visit us at radioregent.com and join our live chat, or connect with me at rebeccahayden.com. Hello there. We are... Hi, Rebecca. Hi, Zoe. (laughs) I'm just going to introduce you. So today we have a lovely guest, Zoe Helena. And Zoe is a psychedelic feminist and the founder of Cosmic Sister for Women, focused on educational advocacy projects, championing women's frontline voices, and uh, so much more, (laughs) but I'm sure we'll get into that. So Zoe, um, one of the things that I like to do on the show is ask our guests to describe ayahuasca just in their own words and in their own way. Oh my goodness. Describe ayahuasca. Well, where to start? <laughs> I think the best way to start would be just to say that it is called the medicine for a reason. It is a divine medicine that is mind, body, spirit. We don't really even understand it fully. We're just exploring and experiencing it. And incidentally, other sacred plants, sacred psychedelic plants throughout the world are also often called the medicine by the indigenous people who discovered them and began to develop traditions around them. So, I mean, if you look at it like that, it says a lot. Um, The medicine and the medicine space being in the medicine, that state of consciousness and that uh, commitment to that state of consciousness and journeying there and opening up to what it offers is what I think ayahuasca is. I will also say... Ayahuasca is also a brew. It's a combinatory plant medicine. It's not one plant. You need at least two plants to make up ayahuasca. And I feel, and my husband Chris feels, that it's not just the brew. It's also the community you're with, the people you're journeying with, and the the healers, the curanderos, the, however you want to call them, shamans, mm-hmm. um, who are who are working with you. So it's a guided experience, preferably with with really experienced, trained guides who know what they're doing. So all of that is ayahuasca. Ayahuasca is not just something you put in your body. Oh, I couldn't agree with you more. And um, by the way, um, yeah, Zoe's husband is known as the medicine hunter. And yes. <laughs> <laughs> Chris Killam. He's a wonderful guy, and we've been married just 10 years now. We just celebrated our 10th year anniversary, and I can tell you that I never would have found ayahuasca. Well, who's a, who knows? You never know, really. But right. I can't imagine that I would have found ayahuasca without him. It, it happened because I married the medicine hunter and went on medicine hunts with him, and this is where I found my niche in the ethnobotanical scene. Beautiful. It's a, it's a natural progression, really, but nobody, nobody in my family or in my career, you know, in, in my past would ever have thought I would end up here. So tell me, how did that all come about, if you don't mind talking about how you did discover the medicine or come across it and decide it was for you and pursue it? Well, um, just, you know, I think it was nine years now because it was our first anniversary. Uh, We were invited, or Chris really was invited, to uh, CETA's Visionary Congress in the Amazon, which was a wonderful gathering of people. There were 75 people, a lot of big names, and some other journeyers who were just really wonderful, Um, people who were just exploring, and also people who were voices that are important but you may never have heard of. But Jeremy Narby was there, Dennis McKenna was there, Martina Hoffman, who I adore, the artist, who she was there, and her husband at that time, who has now passed away, was there, and he's also a very fine visionary artist. There were a lot of people who were known, uh, their names were known, and they were all presenting and journeying together. So it was really an astounding place to be, and and, uh, I, I went there fully prepared not to drink. In fact, I had... I mean, you know, I, I thought I wasn't going to drink. I, I thought I would. I was afraid to drink. I was prepared not to drink, and I have never been someone who could be influenced by peer pressure. So, I I really wasn't wasn't going to drink. I mean, that's the irony of the whole thing. I was just going to go there and be there with everybody else, and that was fine. Nobody had an issue with that. But once I got there. Well, I was able to speak to all these other people other than my husband, who is wonderful, but he's one opinion, and he's 
his opinion is generally if you don't think you should drink, that's your best, that's your best wisdom. Beautiful. You should listen to that voice. Mm-hmm. But what I found was actually it's not always that simple. Sometimes we create fears that are that have no real basis in reality, and those fears can hold us back. And I knew instinctually that that fear that I had might very well be something from my programming, and it was. So I went about chatting with some of these great minds um, and just people who I never met who were experienced and asked them questions, lots of questions, the kinds of questions people ask me today. And it occurred to me that this was part of the scene, that it's about passing it on. It's about helping others who are new to understand the medicine and, and understand that you'll be okay or not, or maybe you aren't somebody who should journey. There are people who maybe should not play around with this. Mm-hmm. So I, I spoke with some really great people, and some of the advice was so great and made me feel much better about where I was and my fears, including um, just that you could navigate the medicine to a point that really intrigued me, and then I thought, hey, I'm here. Why would I miss out on this opportunity? I'll never be here again. Mm. I feel very safe. I feel very loved. I'm with my sweetheart. We're celebrating our first anniversary. He's really into this. We're all in this. It was a full moon. <laughs> <laughs> we were outside because there were 75 of us, so we couldn't fit in the Maloka. And Sita had this, uh, basically it was a soccer field, which I love because there's soccer fields throughout the Amazon and the world. That's, that's like the game oh, that I everybody plays. That's true. Uh, so we made a big oval with these mats that were brought in on moto cars to, to the place that we were at. And we just were all under this extraordinarily gorgeous, gorgeous full moon with these beautiful, rich, flowing f- clouds that came into everybody's vision. And that's where we held ceremony. And oh, that was my wonderful. first time. Um, I was just thinking about it when you said that you were afraid and your husband said, that's fine, go with it. It's possible that that was what led you to, because you were no longer under pressure, you were open to hearing the opinions of all these other people. And, you know, I think that it finds its way, you know, yeah, <laughs> however you know, I mean, it's, it's meant no to. to pressure someone. You, <laughs> it's yeah, great. You don't, you don't want to pressure somebody into anything. Sure. But it all falls time, into place in a beautiful yeah, way. it does. It does. <laughs> and, I mean, that was all part of my healing too because yeah. I realized that my fear of this was unfounded yeah but it, it's good it that was. you took that that route I think that's a lovely route and so tell me um, if you can about your experience with ayahuasca what happened there well that particular experience um, that's my first I mean our first experiences I think are very important but sure. not necessarily the only I've been journeying 10 years now tell so us as many as you'd like really we love hearing many these stories <laughs> so before I tell that I just want to preface it with there I I often find myself saying this there's not one vision that I would want to live my life without every single one has been helpful to me, it's precious to me, and I just have tears in my eyes right now just thinking about that. You know, I would not want to give any one of them up. So they're all important. Um, But that first one was really important to me because it was my first psychedelic experience, period. Now, I used to say that, but now I preface that with actually it wasn't. I thought it was. But the truth is I had had a full-on psychedelic experience with cannabis as a young 20-something. Hmm. I just didn't know it. Ah, me too. I, <laughs> oh, yeah, oh, see, yeah. it's a psychedelic. <laughs> and I, I'm very keen on, on cannabis as a, a journeying plant, as a medicine plant. So I hope we get a chance to talk about that too because Love I to. think it's really related to ayahuasca. Sure. But that... That was one of the things I realized as I went through all of this is that I actually had been in that state. The first vision that I really had was about looking at my husband. You know, I sat up and I was in the medicine. The medicine came on. It started to really, I could tell it was there. You know, I said, oh, this is it. This is definitely it. I looked at my husband who was also sitting up and you could see each other in the moonlight. So it wasn't uh-huh. pitch black like it often is in Amaloka. Mm-hmm. And his face, you know, my beloved's face, which I love. I love his face, you know. I'm looking at his face, and it has got these beautiful lines of grid, like just like the Shipibo cloths. 
that should you know, be booking. Caros, yeah. you know, visionary yes. cloths that they embroider that are so beautiful, that are like 2D representations of 3D experience. Mm-hmm. This was on his face, on the contours of his face, and everything else was black, like the night. Wow. And it was beautiful, and he was smiling with his big smile, and he was totally lit, as he would say. <laughs> um, and he was very, very, very happy. It was spirit man, Chris, you know. And oh. I thought, oh, wow, this is the guy I married. <laughs> you know? I fully feel that ayahuasca can be the best marriage counselor, just a relationship counselor, just to put that out there. I really do. And this was the first time that I experienced that. I found, you know, this, this, again, this affirmation of my love for him and who he really is, and, oh, this is part of his life. Mm. So that was a beautiful thing, and it was also interesting because I had spent quite a bit of time in high tech where part of my role was working with 3D animators. I was taught, uh, trained by an animator in my first job out of high school, uh, but it, there was a 2D Disney-style animator, but animation is about bringing things to life. That's what it means to animate. And 3D animation is computer-generated anim- animation, so in high tech we were working with both 2D, traditional, and 3D computer-generated. And when you build a computer-generated uh, model, you create it with grid. You know, sure. Any shape you create with grid first, you create the outside, the exterior, and then you, you do things with that. You make it move. You put on what they call skins, which is what you see on the outside, and you also use programs that exist like for hair or for skin. So you begin um, with so those dimensions. <laughs> yes, you're creating the, the illusion of reality through, right. you know, which we, we humans have gotten down pat. So advanced with that, <laughs> really, it's something else. So when I when I see the special effects in Hollywood, I think, wow, there you go. What is real, right? Because yeah. all that is ones and zeros. Yeah. So if you get into the esoteric conversation of high tech, I've been there. That's part of my background. So I was seeing something on on my husband's face, which wasn't like on it, like a a superficial thing. It was it was defining his shape in the universe, and it looked like a little bit like the grid that you would create a model version to animate of Chris. Um, But it was moving, and the bright lights were coming out of it, too, just like those beautiful visionary cloths. It was just like the Icarus on his face. So I was like, wow! Beautiful. (laughs) Amazing. But the most important thing, I think, was that it was so friendly. It was friendly and loving. Of course. And the second thing I had was also friendly and loving, and it's hard to describe because it doesn't seem to... I've never got anybody to really resonate with it, but for me it was very important because as a a child in the 60s, and I don't mean a child of the 60s, I was not a hippie child. I was born in 1964. So I was a child during the, the kind of prime era of what we call the 60s, which is really more 65 to 75. Me too. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. Um, It was a wonderful time to be a child, but I always loved Paisley. Mm, I remember going to see... Oh, yeah, see, there you go. Paisley's (laughs) wonderful. Anyway, it's beautiful, but I had been a little bit teased in um, grad school. I have an MFA in costume and set design and theater, and I was teased a little bit for my love of the 60s, and... um, so this was also a release from that. There was a bit of that going on. But primarily what it was was I saw, you know, in that arc of the subconscious, so it's sort of the full-on sky, um, almost a little bit like an IMAX theater but more, <laughs> all Paisley, all Paisley, so in you- 2D, interestingly, just like a 2D animator would do if they could, create that so in you went IMAX. into like a world of paisley i just saw paisley Beautiful. and it was all like outlined with black and these bright vivid sort of day glow colors that i loved as a girl in the 60s pink and white and and green bright green and it was just classic 60s that's paisley. so funny wow i know and you I, know i remember basking in it and thinking oh this was a realization Oh, duh, the designers of the period were playing with psychedelics. That is why they had Paisley in all their textiles. You know, it was so obvious to me, and I realized, again, this is a friendly space for me. 
Oh yeah, I always loved this. You know, I the first my first medicine was iboga, and for the first oh wow yeah, and for the first half an hour I had a full on psychedelic, and I mean all the art from the sixties was animated for a full half hour right. for me in in just such astonishing beauty, and it's so nice to speak to someone who had something similar going on because that was when I was born. You know, I was born in the sixties, and I think there's something to that now. <laughs> Oh, I absolutely do, you know, and it's hard to describe around, like, my husband is 12 years older than me, so, you know, many of his friends are as well, and many of my best friends are in their 60s, you know, so they're, they were teenagers or older in the 60s, so they had a different experience, because, you know, the sex, drugs, and rock and roll part of, of you when, when you're a kid, you can, you can be part of the rock and roll part, but the sex and the drugs is inappropriate for a child. Of course. First of all, a child is already psychedelic. Yes. <laughs> you don't need to give a child anything. They're That's already right. there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I certainly was. I was brought up in a performing and, and visual arts community of professionals, so I was really very creative, and I was, um, ex- I was encouraged by everybody around me who were working artists and scientists, too. Um, so I was very, very creative, and I was really in touch with that. I just didn't call it that. You didn't call That's it? not what I called it. And I was around people who were clearly, you know, exploring psychedelics. I knew they were. Sure, we pick and up on these things, yeah. Yeah, it was everywhere. <laughs> and Energetically, part of what yeah. they were doing, I think that's important for us, those of us born in the mid-60s, we were, it, the big difference, this is what I understand historically, the big difference was the 50s and before children were to be seen and not heard. That was pretty much oh, what yeah. children were. Mm-hmm. We were different. We got lucky. We were this, basically it was an expression of, of people who were, who were exploring psychedelics and they were realizing children are not just to be seen and not heard. They are human beings. Like that was a big realization back then, mm-hmm. which sounds absurd, but it was. And so we got all of that. We got the benefit of that. Uh, yeah, I mean, not everybody in the 60s grew up with parents who were that influenced to that degree by right. the time. But, you know, th- it certainly was in the air. There's no question about that. It was in the air. <laughs> and teachers, you, if you got lucky, you got a great teacher, yeah. you know. But, yeah, you're right about that, absolutely. Yeah. But, yeah, and I was in a really spectacular environment. That's I'm so very wonderful. Lucky. So I had a really wonderful first 10 years. And then we moved to New Zealand. So you know, we moved in 1974. But, but yeah, so in a sense, my first psychedelic experience is actually, you know, my dreaming and my art as a child, truly. Beautiful. So is there, are, are there more experiences you can share with us? From the first experience? That particular night... That was pretty much it. Um, from that point, the next night I had something very profound, and unfortunately it's one of those ones that I wish I could share with you, but I, there is somebody living who would be really hurt sure. by it. So I don't, um, but I can tell you that it was about a sacred heart, and it, it was about my own witnessing my own heart mm. and acknowledging that it was good and that it was, you know, a this is the experience I had, that it was a, a channel for love, and love was a seemingly infinite universal energy that came from outside of all of us, each of us, and that each of us had this heart conduit or channel for this love. And so the whole entire night I was basically bathed by love coming out of my heart like a sacred heart vision. And I'm Beautiful. not religious at all. Mm-hmm, so that, you know, I... It, it, but it was an iconic, arc, like archetypal, sacred heart vision in that sense. Mm-hmm. So that was intense and wonderful. And the whole night I had that. Um, I also had something really sweet that happened because I was in a state that I wish I was in more often with ayahuasca, but I don't get to go there a lot. It was so blissful and healing in the sense of being bathed in divine love. Um, but I was also very able to get up and walk about, even though I was very, very much in the medicine. Mm-hmm. Of course, and yeah. ironically, Chris was not. He was really out there, and he said so. And I put my hand on his back, and he was shaking. And he's a psychonaut, for real. Mm-hmm. That's a real psychonaut. Uh, so I was happy to be of service, and he said he needed some help getting to the banyo. Oh. <laughs> so I was able to do that, and I helped him out. 
Um, and he, I remember him saying, I'm far, far, far out there. <laughs> <laughs> um, which, you know, I've been there too. And yeah. he's helped me many times to the sure. Banyo. But that night I helped him. And the sweet thing that happened to me um, is that when I walked out there to this Banyo that is now sort of infamous in our lives, um, there, he was in there for a while and I was under the moonlight. This was not quite the full moon. But I was um, under a tree. And my first instinct was to feel, oh, it's so sad. They've taken down the great Amazon. This is old-growth forest. Oh, no, sorry. I'm, I apologize. This is new, new forest. This mm-hmm. is like the old-growth forest has been devastated, so this is the forest coming back. This is forest renewing itself, right? Mm-hmm. And that was like the sort of almost diss of this beautiful place we were in. But I thought, well, wait a minute. What am I doing? I'm dissing these trees that are here now that are growing. These are baby trees. Mm-hmm. These are baby trees recreating primary rainforest. Someday these will be not, they'll never be primary rainforests, it's the trees, but they'll be big someday if we leave them. And I was looking directly at a tree, and I looked at it, and I thought, that tree is just about exactly as old as I am. Mm. And I looked at the tree as if it was a being for the first time. I've grown up in the woods. I've grown up in the bush in New Zealand. It always felt like home for me. And yet I had not seen trees as spiritual beings of their own, as personalities of their own. I was really an animal person. So this was a big moment for me. And all the, you know, jokes about tree tree huggers (laughs) and all that. I'm a very strong environmentalist, but I've never called myself a tree hugger. Um... I decided I would touch the tree. Beautiful. And this is what happened. It's kind of interesting. He was still in the banyo, and I'm still very in the medicine, but I'm, a, I'm, you know, standing and my eyes are open. I look up, and I see the silhouette of these trees against the light of the sky because it's, you know, almost a full moon, right? Mm-hmm. And I go, whoa, we're not in Kansas anymore. <laughs> I'm not home. This is a foreign country. I don't know those trees. I don't know this, the, the branches, and I don't know the, the pattern that the leaves make against the sky. And that was interesting. Um, and then I thought about how amazing it is that we can get on a plane and go to a foreign country like that. Yeah. Isn't that something? Yeah. I thought about all of that. I thought about it, it afresh, you know, with a new perspective. And then I touched the tree, and whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I had the full download, like people talk about. I met the tree. Right. And it was, it was beautiful. It was like a friend my age, you know? So nice. And that was, that was a real lesson for me. So I really consider that one of my visions, my early visions. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, and it changed them. me because I'm really an activist for the rainforest at this point. I'm sure it, well, this is what I feel. I feel that that tree um, kind of recruited me. <laughs> 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 and, you know, if we go by the the philosophy or the belief that, you know, you all of these things happened for a reason, then, you know, that was totally meant to be. And you just connected with nature in a very extraordinary way, right? Absolutely. And, you know, I'm a very nature person. I'm very in touch with nature. It was just a new way that yeah. I needed. It was a missing link, actually. Yeah. It was a missing link for me. I had, you know, I was around all these plant people. For the first year, you know, I had been on all these ethnobotanical medicine hunts in the fields, which are really something. I mean, there are a lot of people who would love to have that experience because sure. they're really into plants. Right. But I was not a plant person. I just married this guy. <laughs> and I wanted to be helpful with my own, you know, my own professional skills and whatnot and travel with him. So I was learning as I went. Um, but I'm definitely no herbalist. I know a lot about herbs because I've been, you know, part of the marketing for um, for 10 years. So I do know a lot, but I would still never call myself an herbalist, not like somebody like, you know, Mindy Green or Amanda McQuaid. Those, that, those are real herbalists, you know, Rosemary right. Gladstar, right? So I... I uh, I just help the herbalists, you know. So I used to say to everybody, I'm not an herbalist when I met them because I wanted them to understand that, you know, they're not talking to another plant person at a conference because that's what they typically think you're going to be if you're at one of those gatherings. For me, 
the difference was I felt plants were setting. I didn't see that as something that was less important, but they were the setting for the animal life. Mm. And for me, mm-hmm. I'm an animal. Mm-hmm. I did not, which of course is habitat. Right. Which is true, it is habitat. But I did not look at them or experience them as their own living beings, you know, as their own spiritual, you know, beings. As They have their own life and death. They have their own, you know, they, they're doing their own thing. Sure, yeah. And, and I was missing that. And it's part of our experience, too. Like, I remember, and I, I can't remember, I, I don't think, I think that this was... I can't remember how long after I've done the medicine or before, but there's just this revelation about everybody talks about the environment as though it's separate from us, but we are the environment, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this, is <our laughs> life su- this is our life support system, you know. So It's it, where we live, it, we, you know. It's part of you us. You know, when you're talking about separation, we're also animals, and I, I had mentioned just briefly my dad um, is a scientist. I mentioned that there was science in my life also, so... That when we talked about science, there were high scientists just like there were fine artists, and there was a difference. You know, you could do commercial art to make a living. Mm-hmm. Some people would call that selling out, and others were just realistic about it. And many people kind of went from one world to the other, and the really good ones, truly, the, their commercial art was fine art. Right. So that's where I ended up. Mm-hmm. My commercial art was fine art. But it was still, you know, ultimately to make a living so that I could do my fine art. Well, with high scientists, that's what they are. They're there because they are, they're exploring. They're pioneers. They can't help themselves. They want, it's a great unknown. And they're really creative, amazing people. They're not reductionist scientists, as Dennis McKenna likes to say. That's his term. I first heard it from him, anyway, in the sense of everything's a laboratory, and as if it's not a statistic and a, you know, a factual report, then it's not science. That's bullshit. That is not science. That is science, but that's a type of science. It's a part of science. It's like a Xerox of a work of art. That's so, how I see it. So you it's know, only a little teeny piece. Actually, you know, it's really interesting because recently Ayahuasca weighed in on this issue of science because it, it does come up, especially for those of us who are having these spiritual experiences. And mm-hmm. a lot of people respond with science as though it's something that closes that door on you, <laughs> basically yes, saying you can't be because... Yes, I think there needs to be a lot more conversation around science in our community, and I look forward to it. In fact, I, I would love to have, you know, lead that conversation at the na- next MAPS psychedelic science conference I'm thinking about. I'm working on getting up in front of people. I I had a big um, breakthrough this August at Rosemary Gladstar's conference for Women's Herbal. It was their 30th anniversary, and she convinced me to teach, so I did. Uh, It was very hard for me, and then once I was up there, I really enjoyed it. That's great. Yeah, so I'm hoping I can, you know, move through my introvert Tara of oh. being up there. <laughs> I've, I've been going I, I through much of something. that, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, I think a lot of women do. I, I really think this is a gender thing a lot of the time. There are plenty of introvert guys, for sure, but I do think that women are afraid to get up there for all the wrong reasons also. So I just wanted to go back to the, the science just for, for one moment because um, mm-hmm. Ayahuasca did say something very, very clearly about that. And I thought that um, before we lose that thread entirely, I'm just going to put this out there. She said um, that science is, uh, I, I, get, I get this dialogue with, with Ayahuasca, and she speaks in very clear terms. And she said, um, science is a line of inquiry, and the results of that inquiry people create out of those results. So they receive the results and they create based on those results. And she says, that's great. But once people create laws of science then the bars go up. I saw these bars like a jail. Laws, did you say? L-A-W-S, laws of science. Then these barriers are created, and I saw these bars on a jail, and it's like, go no further. You know, so suddenly this open curiosity that's celebrated through inquiry of science is shut down, and it's only within these parameters that you can go, and it it just becomes a very oppressive thing. So it was interesting. (laughs) I'm not a scientific person, but she was commenting on that, that part of me that was still sort of 
you know, curious about what, why is it that that people who are having these spiritual experiences come up against this so often? And and my complicated own feelings about it, and that that was what she had to say. And I thought that that was pretty amazing. Oh, that's very interesting. I, I think that our our culture is very heavy on the science. It's a patriarchal idea, mm-hmm. but science is wonderful and very important. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that it's. Ne- I think that the separation of the arts, for example, and sciences, is arbitrary and it's it's not real i think they're allies and i know that to be true so sure. my I, father actually was a, um, a specialist in that particular thing he taught science to artists really fine artists merit-based scholarship kids who were performing artists and really really you know as good as it gets and that was his goal was to teach them science and mathematics which is the same thing really um, mathematics is like a language to, mm-hmm. you know, in, in a way, a language to um, express science through, or one of the languages. So he saw that it would it would only help their art, which it did, and he changed their lives. I mean, many students will come running up to my dad, who's 90 now, almost uh. next month, um, and say, "You changed my life," you know. Beautiful. And that's how that's what he did. He taught them science. So I'm a big believer in, you know, teaching people science, the, 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 you know, the, the basics of science. But I had that same teacher all my life. That's my father. Right. So <laughs> I know that the way he looked at it was science, yes, those, the data points are really helpful. And I really appreciate people who are out there collecting them. But the questions that you ask are the important things. And you mm-hmm. may not be asking the correct questions. And that's what I would talk about if I was invited to speak at MAPS. Because we don't know the questions yet. We only are beginning. I'm looking at this as a bit of a scientist and a bit of an artist. I'm going about it very openly, exploring what are the questions, what are the commonalities to explore, and maybe research, quote-unquote. I don't even like the term research. I don't like the idea of the women who I, I award grants to to come to the Amazon with us. I don't like them to be looked at as research. They're not research. They're explorers. We're playing together. <laughs> we're, we're, yeah. we're like you know, little divine children running around in, sure. in the, you know, the psychic space or the, you know, the, the wilderness of psyche. We're, we're seeing what's out there, and I'm listening to their stories because share them with me, right. and I'm learning. Yeah. And I'm learning commonalities, and that's where it led me to psychedelic feminism because we were all women, and we were, you know, I, I work with a lot of men, too. Yeah. So it's really about gender programming, actually. But I am focused on women, um, and I, I learned, you know, look at this. This particular thing comes up a lot for women. Not so for me, but for a lot. Oh, this one comes up for me, too. Oh. You know, we have things that we experience in the ayahuasca space or mushrooms or whatever it is you're doing, peyote, whatever, uh, we get things that males don't. And that's fascinating to me. So I really went for it. So tell me something. Did did the medicines shape that journey for you? Did you come into this with... with a background where you are concerned with women's issues and this kind of, and this changed the way that you looked at at all of that. I'm really curious about how that unfolded in any kind of... I can say this because I can say this because I really don't care what happens to the guy if he even hears this. Um, (laughs) I was severely sexually harassed in uh, grad school for three years by the person in charge. And it was just before Anita Hill came out with... Uh, all of those wonderful things that she did for humanity um, because we, we didn't have any laws against sexual harassment before then. I graduated in 1990, and that is when Anita Hill, all of that came out, mm-hmm. that same year. It was my, I, I was glued to the, the little TV screen watching her, um, all of that, and it saved my life, really. Wow. She was like my lifesaver. I had just gotten out. I had just survived, and I got my MFA. Everybody else was wonderful there, but the guy that was in charge, because there were no laws, nobody could do anything about it. Mm. There was no route. You know, these days, within, so sorry to hear within that. two months, he, he would have been fired. Within two months. Right. And he should have been fired. He yeah. was outrageously destructive. So he took this young woman who'd been accepted at Yale and Harvard on scholarship. So a real talent, and it was, I think it was 20, 
23, 24, something like that, and did everything he could to destroy me. Um, and he singled me out. And yes, he wanted a relationship, and this is why I say that. Because I had luckily grown up with a mother who had told me not to do that, and a father also, because in the art school where he worked, it was called the North Carolina School of the Arts back then, the first men who got together to build that school made a pact with each other that they would not sleep with students um, under any circumstance. Mm-hmm. And that was unusual back then. Right. It was like 66, 1966. So I grew up with these stories, hearing these stories about how people's lives could be ruined by professors or directors or producers or just older people who, who uh, were predators. And um, often they, they truly do fall in love with the younger people, but too bad. They yeah. don't have any business messing with them. Right. So this guy was on my case, and it was very public, and it was brutal, right. beyond belief brutal. So, to the point where recently, not that long ago, a girlfriend who was there with me had said to me, this was kind of a life changer, and it was just a couple of years ago. She said, we all thought you were in a relationship. Mm, yes, okay. So that really <laughs> I remember me, those times, too, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like I wasn't. I mean, we were in a relationship in the sense that it was just a terrible dynamic, but I was not sleeping with him and never would, and that was part of the problem. Yes. So, you know, yes, and there were many things before that. I mean, you know, if you're born female in a male-dominated culture, which we all are, any female is, you're going to hit it. You're so, going to hit sexism very young. So tell you me. You know, probably whenever it is for you, um, mine was two. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's early. Um, and, and a lot of us, because you're so immersed in it, you, d- you don't even necessarily recognize it. And it sometimes takes some pretty profound events to, to happen to make, make you wake up to that. But so how I, did I think that's true, but I think the part of where we were born, we were lucky. We, were, we hit, you know, the prime sort of 70s movement. Mm. Well, yeah. So I'm, you know, I marched with my mother in the feminist marches, and yeah. that was really great. And I, I love Gloria Steinem, and I, her books have been just, um, her new book as well, have been extremely influential. Right. Um, she's one of my heroes. <laughs> so, but unfortunately, again, like not everybody, not all the parents in the 60s were, were truly on board. Um, and a lot oh, of them yeah, were no, so heavily, absolutely. heavily influenced by the 50s, <laughs> which was a very different time. But tell me something. How did ayahuasca, like, did you have these experiences with ayahuasca that started to shape how you moved forward with all that? Yes. Um, the reason I brought up my experience with my grad school professor, um, who was the dean of, of, well, he wasn't the dean, but his best friend was the dean, so that was the problem. All roads led back to my professor. Right. Um, is that I... He did not, he could not break my spirit, but I did turn internal. Mm. So when I graduated, instead of going to work at the Met or on Broadway or in Hollywood, which I had all the paths laid out for me to do, um, I had had everything for that. Um, I instead decided to do my own art, and there's nothing wrong with that, but it was I didn't realize at the time that what I was doing was responding to that experience. Absolutely. Um, My art was about the patriarchy. It was about breaking free of that, and it was pretty damn good, actually. But um, it it did keep me from taking that path that I probably should have. And eventually, at about 30, I said I need a break from the theater, the professional theater, and I never expected to leave it, but I did, and I ended up in high tech. So all of that is part of my backstory. Um, leading up to Chris and leading up to ayahuasca, so it was my first, ex- you know, my first journey or retreat there. So there were three ceremonies at Visionary Convergence um, that Sita really needs a little credit for oh, okay. putting that together. <laughs> um, and we're still in touch. In fact, we we had a wonderful conversation last night. Uh, so I had this experience on my third night that was really the big breakthrough, um, and I drank more. And I, um, <laughs> I lay outside with everybody else, and everyone knew each other by then. We were towards the end. This was the last ceremony, so, you know, we were kind of ready to, to wrap up the conference. And I've told this before, but this is how it went. 
I looked out, I would open my eyes and close my eyes, and the two worlds seemed to really come together. Which worlds? While I looked at the clouds and the full moon, I could see shapes. But if I closed my eyes, I was still in the same place, but I was really more a path in the jungle. But the, sh- the colors were the same. They were that moonlight on cloud colors, so blues and yellows, you know, light yellows. So all of those colors were really odd for, for a psychedelic experience, but they were really intense and glowing like the full moon. And the full moon, incidentally, is really important to me because that's a goddess figure, and that is an archetypal um, symbol for women in their prime mm. in a particular time of their life, which I, was, I had just turned 42 right that that month uh, so i had this experience where just there was a perfect little windy path in the jungle and just beyond my my eyesight where i couldn't just not make out right behind a bend which was full of you know beautiful jungle plants was this being <laughs> this being was clearly a goddess figure so can i, I ask a question her. yeah go ahead when you say that you were going along this path, so this was the journey you were taking in the medicine? In the medicine. Okay. I saw this path. Okay, perfect. In front of me, winding, like classic winding path. Beautiful. In the jungle. Okay. No one else was around. I was on my own. I was in my power. I felt good. I'd had two great experiences, especially that heart-opening one. Yeah. And I do, by the way, feel that ayahuasca prepares you for the next one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so she doesn't give you what you can't handle. She's ready to, she builds you to, to where you need to be. So she built me by giving me that beautiful heart lesson to empower me. And here I was, and she was there as just this classic goddess figure, uh, mama, divine mama, you know, or grandmother, if you will, because obviously she was ancient. She had no time. She was from before time. She could have been, you know, in any of the great religions. She could have been in the Greek religions. She would have been pre-Olympian goddesses. She would have been something. She could have been in any of them, you know, any of those, like, Earth Mama, really. Um, (laughs) Were there physical qualities to her that you saw? I didn't see her. I never saw her. I felt her. You felt her. Good. Okay. She was intense. Exactly. Okay. She could have been African. Right. Okay. Absolutely. I mean, this is like primal human goddess. Okay. And and human. A female human goddess, oddly. It was not me. It did not feel like an aspect of me. It did not feel like my mother or my grandmother. And I have a wonderful mother and Mm -hmm. wonderful grandparents. They They were great. All of them were great. This was somebody or something that was, um, outside of that. It was really archetypal. And she was not happy with me. <laughs> she was not happy with me in a way that I really understood and uh, I comprehended, I thought. Yeah, I get it. I got it right away. She was sending me these disappointment vibes. Aww. Like, you're not, look at all that I gave you. Oh, boy. Look at what you have. Look at who you are. Look at your life. Look at your privilege, really. And not privilege in the sense of money, because I've never had a lot of money. I mean, there have been a few periods in, in my life where I had some money, but it, it came and went, trust me. <laughs> um, it, it was about my, the real true privilege. I had loving parents. I had loving grandparents. I have a great brain. I have real talent. I'm healthy. I'm loved. That's true privilege. Mm-hmm. And I, I knew that. And she said... You know, it wasn't with words, but the message mm-hmm. was clear. What the hell are you doing with your life? <laughs> You're not doing it. You're not doing it. Why? Get over it. Move on. Take a stand. Mm-hmm. Step up. Wow. We need you. Yeah. It was just the same old thing. You know, we need you. The world needs you. It's a mess. So, you know, that was my calling to step up. And I remember saying, okay, 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 I don't need to see you. I got it. I got it. I can't handle anymore. That's enough. And she was like, yeah, 
Okay. Okay, you hear me. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I hear you. I don't need to see you. I don't need any more whipping. <laughs> she didn't really whip me. She was just like, you know, have you ever been read by a black woman? It's a term here in the United States, by mm-hmm. African-American woman here. I got read once with a group of African-American friends at Harvard, and I didn't know what was happening, but they said that you're being read, and I'd never had that cultural experience, and it was really hard, but it was great also. It basically means we're telling it like it is. We're going right. to call you out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we're going to tell you what we're seeing. It's very powerful, and it was as if she did that to me. Yeah, Iboga's done read. that <laughs> many times. <laughs> yeah. But even I was too. And that's yeah. what, you know, kind of started Cosmic Sister. Wow. Okay, so that was the result. So when that you was the result. When this exchange was taking place, when you were feeling what ayahuasca was communicating to you, did you feel there was anything specific or was it it's up to you just do something worthy of yourself and your skills and who you are? It wasn't specific. It was all of my own, you know, our, our subconscious and our psyches are all of what we are and right. more, more than what we know. You know, they're very, inf- you know, they're seemingly infinite, infinite. They're, they're expansive and complicated, all of us, each individual. So all of who I am, I already know. Yeah. So I didn't need any, any more than that. I knew that what she was doing was calling to me. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't even a calling. It was really a kind of like a more of a status report. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm coming down to check on you. Right. And what the fuck? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, and, and I, I knew what had happened to me. And I, I remember saying to her, I will work on this. Yeah. I promise. And she's like, yeah, really? You're going to work on this? I'm like, it's deep. I'm, it's going to take time. You know me. I remember saying that. You know me. I do what I say, and I take the time it needs. And I've been working ever since in the medicine space, working on that, and I'm still working. Beautiful. Because you know what? These wounds run deep. Mm-hmm. These, oh, yeah. These cultural programmings are insidious and deep and complicated in all of us. Sure they are. Yeah, absolutely. And there's, there's where the work needs to be done. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, I, and also, you know, I'm not a celebrity. I'm not, you know, I'm a minor celebrity. I'm not a wealthy Hollywood star who has that kind of pull. I'm not Richard Branson who has a kind of money that could do these huge projects. I don't have that kind of power in my hand. What I can do is what I can do, and that's all. Right. That's okay. So I set out to, to do what I could do, and I started Cosmic Sister originally for the natural products women which was, these are women who are in the, uh, you know, they call it an industry, the natural products industry, but it's really a movement at best. And the women there are dealing with sexism like everybody else. Most of the males there, and some of them are great, um, are, are sexist like any other man. Um, it is still a patriarchy by far, even though, you know, you will find many more CEOs in the natural products space that are women than nice, proportionally yeah. than the rest of the world, but they were still dealing with their own form of sexism. And, and these, these are products that offer consumers alternative choices that are better for the environment and for our bodies as right. well. So it, was, it is a practical way a practical approach to environmentalism and that's the industry i was in so for me that's where it started and then after the ayahuasca experience i i began to integrate and learn that that was so profound for me and so changing so life-changing for me that when a few years later i um a young woman who had been a student of my husband's and who had been to the Amazon with us, but not for ayahuasca, but for plant medicine work in the shaman's pharmacy class. Her name is Rachel Carlavale, and she's awesome. You can look her up. Uh, she um, was going through something difficult with her family, and she really helped save the life of a very close family member by being selfless and brave and amazing. And I... Um, See, I get really emotional oh, about that's it. Fine. I, uh, I really felt like a big sister to her. I think she was 24 at the time. Mm. I thought, this is the kind of thing that can make or break you. You can just be in, in life if, if you don't have somebody on the outside saying, 
okay, now you've done it, you saved this person's life. Now what happens to you? Mm -hmm. You know, that you can fall into a really bad period of and lose a lot of time in your life. So I thought, what the heck? This is when she would be perfect for ayahuasca, and I knew she'd be interested. So I offered her a grant. I, I called her and I said, I've got this idea, and I just, you know, feel free to say no, but I just want to ask you, would it make any difference at all if this was a real formal grant from my company, mm-hmm. you know, that, that pays your way, mm-hmm. that helps you to get a really great ayahuasca experience with a Shipibo traditional center in the Amazon jungle, and we will be there. We will support you. That, you know, is a, something you can put on your resume and your bio. You know, mm-hmm. this is a real thing. You know, this is a substantial amount of money, actually, to come up with every year with, for each woman. Sure. And she was like, yes, yes. So she came, and she was my guinea pig. <laughs> oh, she was our first. Um, you can find her on the site, and she's doing fantastically well now. So She'd nice. love to come again, of course. But <laughs> she's a remarkable woman, and she got really great healing. And she came up with Ganjasana, which is her yoga cannabis connection, and she's working with that. She's a yogi and a very, very good one. Oh, nice. uh, so, you know, that was the beginning. And after that, I just kept growing the program because it's so exciting to me. Of course. Yeah, it must feel wonderful. Um, so did you ever find that you went back into ceremony and had any kind of reconnection with ayahuasca to, you know, um, respond to the action that you took? I'm just curious about that. You know, I've never <laughs> asked. I've never said, you know, show me yourself again and tell me, you know, how do you think I'm doing? I, I feel like I'm just very connected to ayahuasca now. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and it, she does come to me as a female form, and who knows why. I mean, she doesn't come that way to everybody. Chris doesn't get that. She, she doesn't come as a she to Chris at all. Well. Um, in fact, his anaconda is, is very male. Um, he gets an anaconda. Oh, interesting. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. People have mentioned that. And the Shipibo, you know, they say that's the ayahuasca. You know, when you say who is, the, who is the anaconda, they say, oh, that's your messenger. That's the ayahuasca. It's all about the plants. Right, yeah. It's a messenger from the plants in an animal body. Yeah, I mean, with me it was an insect, a very large, beautiful female insect. Ooh, what kind? <laughs> Do you know? Um, you know, she had six legs and wings and this just classic, beautiful insect head. And when I saw, hmm. uh, I saw a movie, and now I'm going to forget. Oh, lab, was it labyrinth? Uh, no, Pan's Labyrinth, you know, the little... Oh, yes. And the, yes, that little insect, that, that was a cool thing. As soon as I saw that, when I watched that movie, a tear started flowing, because I thought, that's her. <laughs> and, yeah, and do you cool. see how that insect led the little girl on her journey, and I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, <laughs> I'm getting this, yeah. <laughs> Insects are fascinating They're creatures, beautiful. and, you know, very much part of the Amazon jungle, too, you right. know, when we were there at the first time, that was part of my experience, too, um, just feeling the, the symphony of the of the life the wildlife out oh, yeah. there just i mean it's there during the day but when the night falls wow now i know that it's late um to be bringing this up but i'm just wondering quickly um and i'm i just wanted to say i'm so glad that you did share that background story i wasn't sure where it was going but i'm really glad that you did because it's true it shapes a lot of our experiences, things that happen to us in life like that. And, and of course, the medicine, you know, often responds, and that's why we get a lot of healing. And it's, it's amazing that you explained how that, you know, just sort of moved you forward and you're recognizing what held you back. And I'm so glad you shared that with us. And um, I just wanted to quickly, I mean, we know that a lot of women who are pursuing ayahuasca are having these experiences uh, these unfortunate experiences with with shamans and other people who are in a position to do so, um, you know, sexual abuse and harassment and things like that. And I mean, what I what I often say is, you know, we 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 put people on pedestals when they have titles such as shaman, but they're all human, and you know, they they're all in varying stages of growth themselves, um, and, it, and it's important to be careful. Um, when you're pursuing this and and to get a woman if you're a woman to get another woman to tell you what their experiences 
were because you know with men it might be a little different but what else do you do you, I would love to hear what you have to say about all of this you know the first thing that comes to mind when you were saying that is like I I had shared my experience with my grad school professor you know who was a big guy in the scene right in the theater scene and he was brilliant you know and charismatic in his own way you know he was 50 he just turned 50 and I was like 24 oh wow if it weren't for my mother telling me stories of how she had, you know, been victim to a, a predator in the early 50s in New York when she was an art student. Um, I probably would have fell prey to him, truly, because I was ambitious, because he was attractive, because it was in some weird cultural way a flattering thing that he was so interested in me. Mm-hmm. You know, all of the reasons that these predators are able to seduce young women. If it weren't for my mother having had that terrible experience, and this man took seven years of her life, um, that I don't think I would have had that. So I, I learned also the value of passing on these experiences and these knowledges from, from wiser, older women, which is part of Cosmic Sister. It's all about multi-generational you know, communication. That's very important. All from both sides, Absolutely. younger women helping me understand that world and vice versa. Sure. If we could share with each other more of our wisdom, we'd be so much better off. I agree. We really would be. So that that's one thing. Um, but I, I have to say that from that perspective, now that I'm that older woman, <laughs> there's so much you cannot see when you're young. And you, you also have this tendency to be pretty cocky because you're gorgeous <laughs> and, you know, you are an adult and, and you're, you know, in a prime. And all that's wonderful. You know, I was there and I was beautiful. Sure. You know, I was attractive. So I got all the awful stuff as well as the good stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I know what it was like. I had it all. <laughs> um, and it's tricky business in our culture because our culture teaches us uh, that sexual attraction, attractiveness is the number one most valued thing in a woman. Mm-hmm. And so we're all about proving that one way or the other. So right. when you get somebody who's a predator, and by predator I mean anybody in a power position that's male, or, you know, I mean, let's don't go into the other genders right now because it's mm. a whole other conversation. Sure, of course. But just male, female, you know, a male in a power position, whatever that is, and he doesn't have to be an older male, it can be your age too. Right. A priest a yoga instructor, a teacher, a boss, a shaman, whatever. Yes. That is a position that has something special because you're sitting in the audience or the classroom or the maloka and you're looking, you're projecting at that person. You're there for a reason and it's something important that matters to you. So all that you project onto that person becomes part of the attractiveness Mm -hmm. of that person. So the simple answer is, first of all, To be clear, rape is rape and is never, ever, ever okay, period. Mm -hmm. Okay? Neither is sexual harassment and neither is sexual molestation, Mm -hmm. forcing somebody. And neither is coercion. And coercion is a little bit more where we are with this, coercion and seduction. That's trickier business because you are not necessarily forced to have sex with the person, but you are involved in the decision to have sex. And that gets down to the concept of of consent, which is also very tricky business when you're talking about a psychedelic substance. Sure. Because you're in an altered state. You're not yourself. You are yourself, but you're yourself in an altered state. So consent is not the same. Mm -hmm. So the bottom line is this. Two things, a couple of things, really. Use the buddy system. Find other women to travel with, and men, if possible, who you trust. Right. I'm sorry that that's the case. I don't like that that's the case. I'm not saying it's right, but that is the reality. Mm-hmm. Two, make a commitment that you will not sleep with the shaman. Or In- flirt with the shaman. Intention. Nothing. Yeah, don't intention is very important. Yeah. yeah, make that commitment in advance, and if you feel for whatever reasons, that you are vulnerable to that 
and you may go against your own promise to yourself, you get a friend to promise you that they will, you know, do that thing like those black women did to me. Like they will read you. They will say, no, you said you would not do that. You've got a problem, and you know it. Um, you know, that's who you need on that you know, with you in the Amazon. Don't pick another woman who has the same vulnerability. Absolutely. And she'll be like, oh, you know, fuck that. You're really attractive and he's really hot. He thinks you're special. <laughs> Don't pick that woman. Right. And, and just be <laughs> you know aware. out there, right? Yeah. You know and part of what you're saying is being aware of where you're at, too. That is, is key. And, of course, the medicines are going to help with that. But, unfortunately, we're out of time. Yeah, but I, I do want to say, though, that, Women who are in that state do not necessarily know they're in that state. True enough. We do need the medicines for that, and many other things can help. But thank you so much. This I feel like we could have a whole other show, and maybe we'll do that. Thank you so yeah, much, this, Zoe. Yeah, it's a longer conversation, oh, and of it's course too bad it is. to cut it short, because I think that sure. these, you know, it's, it's, it's a tough one for young women especially going through that. But just, you know, the bottom line is do not sleep with the shaman ever. It is never okay. All right. Thank you so much, and we'll, I'm sure we'll connect again. This has been Ayahuasca Talks in Toronto. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. Bye, Zoe. Lots of love. Bye. Love to you. Bye-bye.